You're listening to Law Talk, where we give you information that quite often it's hard for you to get anywhere else. This program is brought to you by my law office, the name of which is Wills and Trust LLC, where the only kind of law we do is to prepare wills, trust, power of attorneys, and advanced medical directives. So if you or someone you know needs a will, a trust, or assistance in administering a will or a trust, or an estate, give us a call at 240-638-2828. 240-638-2828. Law is powerful. It can help you or it can hurt you. It impacts everything that you do. What you don't know can definitely hurt you. And what you do know and what you do with what you know empowers you. And when it comes to estate planning, when you act and do and get documents done and actually execute them properly and so forth, it empowers not only you, but the next generation. It empowers your intended beneficiaries. It empowers your children, your grandchildren, your spouses. It can empower your sisters and your brothers. It can empower your best friends. It can empower your churches, your sororities, your fraternities. So you have to act on this knowledge. You have to actually have your wills, your trusts, your beneficiary designations filled out and signed properly. These documents have to be done while you are competent to do so. I really want to encourage everyone to just go on and get them done. I'm beginning to get what I've always gotten, uh, but now I get it again more. People calling when they're already in the hospital or their loved ones. A, a young man called me almost in tears this week because his father was already in the hospital and he was the only one of the brothers and sisters or of the children of his father who were here, who was here in the area and has been struggling to try and take care of him and having a difficult time doing so because he had no documents, he had no power of attorneys, he had no medical directives, and there was no will or trust. And because he was already in the hospital, and the hospital was only allowing one person at a time to see him, it was unless that changed and he got better and he came out of that environment, it would be impossible to get documents, even if we could prepare them, to get them signed and executed. And unexecuted documents are no good. So please understand it is not enough to simply have your will done or your power of attorney done. They actually have to be signed, witnessed, and notarized properly. Okay? So don't wait until you're in the hospital. Don't wait until you or your loved one is so sick that quite often it's just too late to do anything. Go on and get these things done now while you're well, while you know, you know, just go on and do it. And really, please do it, okay? So give us a call at Wills and Trust LLC 
If you don't live in Washington, D.C., Maryland, or Virginia, call wherever you live. Call a lawyer in your state who does this kind of work and have them prepare your last will and testament, your power of attorney, and your advanced medical directives. And if you think it's appropriate or if they think it's appropriate, ask them about a trust and then have them explain to you how that might work. Okay? It's important. Just go on and get it done. Go on and get it done. Before I move on, I, I, I want to talk today a little bit, just also not too much to talk about, but remind you that voting is also powerful. It is very powerful. We are, as African Americans, are one of the largest voting blocks in the United States. We are one of the largest voting blocks in the United States. But to be powerful, we have to be consistent. Politicians have to know that we will vote for or against them over and over again. Not just when somebody we like is running for president. Not just then. We have to vote because it determines the kind of government we have. It determines who gets the money from the taxes that we all pay. And I want to suggest also that I'd like to see many of those of you who are retired, especially retired educators, administrators, government administrators, government employees, think about serving on school boards. Think about serving on zoning commissions. Many of these are appointed, but they are so critical and important. Get on these different committees in your communities. They are powerful. They determine who gets contracts in many instances. They determine what our children are taught. And you all know what needs to be taught. I mean, educators are powerful people. And you have a lot of, especially those of you who have retired and have been, did it for a long time, you all know a lot. You know what the schools need. And you can get on these boards and you know how to and learn how to implement the changes that are needed, especially to schools in neighborhoods that may not be getting the money they need, may not be getting the facilities that they need. And you can help to redirect those resources, because you know how it should go. So I just want to encourage everyone, vote, participate in government. You know, even if you're retired, participate. Many people retired, and they're still healthy. They're still alert and smart and can do a lot. Voting determines who sits on the jury. Okay? To sit on a jury, you have to be a voter. That's where they get the, the juries from. It's from the voting roles, okay? Voting determines who nominates judges. In some instances, you have to actually vote for the judges. Uh, voting, you know, determines uh, who is going to be um, determining guilt or innocence of those who are, you know, um, either convicted or accused of different crimes. So it's really, really important 
to vote. And I'm going to be stressing this all year because I don't want to wait until November and then all of a sudden, because that's when all of politicians come back and this is an off year sort of. I want you to right now make sure you can vote. Find out because there's been a lot of hanky-panky around the voting. You know, volunteer and serve on the committees that count the votes. That's the only way in which voting was was deemed to have been done correctly in the last election is because people were there who counted them and recounted them. And uh, so get involved. Get involved. You can make a huge difference, okay? Anyway, let me get back to Will's Trust and Estate Planning. If you have questions about Will's Trust, Estate Planning, uh, deeds, what happens to property when people die, call me now while I'm on the air at 1-800-450-7876. 1-800-450-7876. I'm going to continue the conversation that I had Last week, where I talked about what happens when you leave property in your will or in your trust to your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews. Um, But I want to go on and talk about what happens when you leave money also to uh, nonprofit organizations, to sororities, fraternities, schools, HBCUs, hospitals, hospitals. We all know because they're on the TV a lot, you know, St. Jude is one of the biggest nonprofits that people consistently give to. A lot of my clients give to St. Jude because we can see and we hear what a difference it makes, you know, with children who are sick and so on. Uh, Well, the same thing can happen in other nonprofits if you name them to receive money from you when you die in your will or in your trust. I want to encourage you to do things like that. And of course, contribute while you're alive. But what when you die, it's, that's another good time in which you can be a big help to any kind of worthwhile nonprofit that you believe in, any kind of cause that you believe in. Now, I'm talking about how you use the law to empower yourself, how you use the law to uh, create intergenerational wealth. But please remember what you hear on the program does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The information you hear is for educational uh, purposes only. You really have to go to a lawyer of your own who can prepare these documents for you because each individual circumstances are different and you need to get individual counsel for individual situations, okay? That's really, really important. Every responsible adult, every adult needs to have three basic documents. You need a last will and testament, a power of attorney, and an advanced medical directive a last will and testament, a power of attorney, and advanced medical directives. When you talk with your lawyer about preparing these documents for you, you may want to explore whether a trust would be advisable or not. Okay, not everybody needs a trust. 
but a trust does offer some very important advantages. So at least talk about it. And then the lawyer can tell you, yes, you need a trust or no. I, I know I will tell you if you don't need a trust, even though it may cost more money, I could make more money with a trust, but I will tell you, you know, you can do this without a trust. And we will talk about, you know, the various differences of, of each uh, way of doing it. A trust is often used when you want privacy, when you have minor children or someone who's dependent upon you. They could be an adult, but they could be sick. They could have a disability. They could, you know, there are all kinds of reasons that you might want to, or you might have someone that you want to take care of if you died before them. You know, there are all kinds of reasons that you might want to, or you might have someone that you want to take care of if you died before them. It also allows you to establish central control and supervision of the assets over a period of time. Um, I, for one, have seen too many 18-year-olds receive money and squander it. And so I don't advise if you are leaving your children or whoever um, a large sum of money. And, of course, the term large is relative uh, to everyone. But anytime you're leaving a child more than ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, I think you need to have some control over it. Uh, and certainly if you're leaving them $100,000 or house or something, you want to have an, a, another person to control that at least until they reach a certain age or limit what that money can be used for, education, maintenance, support, whatever. Um, and that's what a trust would do. Now, one of the things that we talked about is and one of the things I want to emphasize to you is when you name a person to be the beneficiary on your bank account or when beneficiary of a life insurance policy, when you name a minor as a beneficiary on your life insurance policy, which a lot of people do because they don't realize, that minor gets all of that money when they reach 18 years of age. So looking at your child, looking at them as a teenager, thinking about yourself, what would you have done with $100,000 when you were 18 years old? Probably would have wasted it on a new car, clothes, children, you know, other adults, uh, uh, you know, homies, you know, best friends, partying, whatever. And maybe that's okay with you. But when you leave your assets for a minor child in a either as a beneficiary or in a custodial account, there are a lot of uniform gifts to minors accounts. We call that custodial account. Um, unless there's a restriction on that money, like 529 accounts, that's for education. Um, they get access to that money when they're 18 years of age. So if you're okay with that, that's fine. That's a good way to leave money if it's not too much, 10000 maybe 20000 even. But once you get over that amount, I strongly recommend 
that you talk with a lawyer about another way of leaving that money and being and and don't think that by giving it to your brother, your sister, somebody else, and that's what people used to do a lot. They'd say, okay, my children are minors, but I'll name my sister or my brother as the beneficiary on the life insurance policy because I know that they will take care of my children or, you know, uh, if something happened to me. The problem with doing that is if your brother, and let's say you even died before your brother that you've named, the problem is that that money goes into your brother's name or your sister's name. In other words, the insurance company pays the money when he files a claim to whoever you named as a beneficiary. And another thing to know, the beneficiary designation governs even if your will says something else. So it's very important to know what your beneficiary designations are. And if you don't know, you need to change them to what you want them to be, to be sure about it, okay? That's important. But what I'm trying to say is, let's say your brother applies for and gets the $100,000. He's an honest person. He really intends to use this for your children. But your brother dies before he can do that. Well, guess what? That money goes into your brother's estate not your children, and that money is now available, whether he intended it or not, for his family and not for your family. And there's nothing you can do about it because once you're dead, you can't do nothing about it. Once he's dead, he can't do anything about it. And so the money that you had intended to leave for your children has gone in a whole different direction. So you're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. I'm your host, Attorney Ethel Mitchell. The name of my company is Wills and Trust LLC. The only kind of law we do is to prepare wills, trusts, power of attorneys, advanced medical directives, and assist people in administering estates and trusts. Give us a call at 240-638-2828. So we can help you get your documents in order. I just recently hired another lawyer to help me do this because it's important. I'm very, you know, determined and committed to doing as many of these for as many people as possible because I see the difference it makes. Not only do people have peace of mind when they get these documents done, but when they die, the, the impact on the next generation or on their intended beneficiaries is just huge if their affairs are in order. Like I said last week, when you have a will or a trust and you leave your home or your money to your grandchild, they now have a roof over their head. They don't have to pay rent if you've already paid for your house. If you haven't paid for your house, they got to figure out how to pay for it because you got to pay the mortgage, okay? But either they do that or because you willed it to them, the title to it now goes into their name if, as long as they're not a minor, okay? 
if it, the title goes in their name, and then if they need to, they can go to the bank. They can refinance the mortgage if they qualify. If they can't and they have to, they can sell the house and take the money out of it. The equity comes out, and that money can be used to be invested and reinvested to make sure they can pay for college, they can you know, start a business, or they can buy their own house and do other things with it as well. They can finish their education. They have security. You have provided financial security for them. When you leave a will that says your spouse gets the house, same thing. If for any reason, doesn't matter why, your spouse's name is not on the deed to your house. When you die, your spouse may not get full control or title to that house unless you have a will that says very clearly, when I die, I leave my house to my spouse. When you do that, they now. Your spouse has a roof over their head. They have a place to raise your children at. If they're not able to find or to continue to pay the mortgage, they can renegotiate with the mortgage company, okay? Because the title is in their name. If you've left the house to them and life insurance names them, they may have enough money to keep the house, to keep a roof over their head keep the children in a good school system. This is important stuff. So I, I want to encourage all spouses, all married couples, all parents of children, minor or otherwise, do a will. Get a last will and testament done so that you can be sure even especially if you're not married. But if you are parents of children, because I have a lot of clients who are together, have been together for quite a long time, they live together, they have children together, they love each other, they've been putting their money together and building a good life for, for each other. Get your wills done. Get your trust done encourage them, insist upon it, so that each of you are protected if one of you dies, okay? And that can happen when you are young. You can get in a car accident. God knows these days you can get COVID. There's all kinds of reasons and ways. And so don't risk dying and not leaving your spouse protected. Don't risk dying and not leaving the parent of your children protected. Because if you don't do this, I had a lady that I was talking to this week whose husband had recently died. And I know the family. And this man has children before he married this lady. And then he had children with her. And when he died, for whatever reason, he had never put her name on the house. And he didn't die with a will. And now she's having all kinds of trouble with the children who are not her children. They don't want to sign a document or anything. They don't want to sign the deed over to her. 
even though she was with him not only a long time, he was sick for a long time. And she took good care of him for a long time. But he didn't take care of her because he didn't leave a will. He didn't protect her. So take care of those you love. And if you are, make sure you are taken care of by making sure and insisting that those that you live with, those that you, 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 you have worked with and been with and struggled with, take care of you with having a last will and testament that protects you at the very least, and talking to a lawyer about whether a trust would be available or desirable for you. So when I come back, I'm going to go to break shortly, but when I come back, I'm going to talk to you in more detail about what happens when you have a will or a trust and what happens when you don't. And this is really important. And also what happens when you have a power of attorney and what happens when you don't. So call me now while I'm on the air. This is a great time to get your questions answered. What can you do with your deeds? What happens when your grandparents died? Their name is still on the deed to the house. What needs to be done? And what can be done if they died with a will and if they died without a will? As I said earlier, the person that you name in your will gets the property that you say that they should. So if you say your grandchild should get your house, that's who gets your house. As long as you own the house by yourself, okay? So your spouse should get the house, that's who gets the house, okay? If it's a minor, they can't do anything with the house. Got to go to court, got to get a guardian appointed. Then that person can try and manage the house, uh, but it's really difficult, if not impossible, to do anything with the house if you leave it to a minor child. So we don't recommend it. We recommend that it be put in a trust where an adult is named legally to be responsible and manage it for the benefit of that child or those children, along with whatever money you assign to it. Now, as a practical matter, let's say you go to your lawyer, and a lot of people don't quite understand how this works. The lawyer creates your trust for you. It's a document. That's what it is. It's a legal document. You sign the document. It's it's always witnessed. It's notarized. And then... The lawyer should prepare the deeds that put the house in the trust. They should prepare the letters that you take to your bank to put your money in the trust and prepare the and they may help you prepare the beneficiary designations on your life insurance policies so that those that money for your children will go or whoever you want to benefit will go into your trust when you die. Now when you die the person that you've named as a trustee, let's say Mr. Robert Jones. I like Mr. Robert Jones. So let's say Mr. Robert Jones has had his trust done. He's named his wife, Miss Beulah Jones, to be his successor trustee. He dies. Miss Beulah Jones goes to the bank, shows her the tr- shows them the trust, identifies herself. Her name as trustee is now put as a signatory on checks so that she can manage the money, the deed, the trust said that Ms. Beulah Jones was to get the house. And so Ms. Beulah Jones goes to the lawyer, 
The lawyer does a deed from Miss Beulah Jones as trustee of the trust to Miss Beulah Jones individually. That deed is recorded, and now she owns the house. Let's say the trust instead said, oh, let me finish it. And he left the life insurance payable into the trust. And so, again, Ms. Beulah Jones files a claim with the insurance company. The insurance company pays Ms. Beulah Jones a check for, let's say, $100,000. That check goes into the trust account, the Robert Jones Trust. And what happens then, but let's say the trust said Ms. Beulah Jones was to manage everything that was in the trust was for her benefit, but also for the benefit of their minor children. And the trust also told said that when Mr. Robert Jones died, she was to create, so they had two children, two, we call them sub-trusts. So let's say Mr. Jones had one child called Ms. Donald Jones and another child called Cynthia Jones. So the trust says create two separate trusts, one for Donald Jones and one for Cynthia Jones, and divide in half the money and put them into the trust. So with the assistance and direction of her lawyer, Ms. Jones, who as the trustee, goes to the bank. The lawyer gets a new EIN number for each trust. She takes that EIN number, that's like a social security number for the trust, takes that number to the bank with the document and opens a bank account, one for the Donald Jones Trust and one for the Cynthia Jones Trust. She puts $50,000 into each. She gets the checking account and so on. And then the money that's in each of those trust accounts is used for the benefit of those children. Now, let's say Mr. Jones's trust further said that the money that was in his children's trust is only to be used for education. So what would be advisable, because hopefully Ms. 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 Beulah Jones has a financial advisor, which is the best way to do this, and the advisor says to her, invest it, very conservatively, very safely in a investment vehicle that will yield a certain amount of uh, return increase in value because let's say Mr. Robert Jones's children were young. Let's say they were four and five years old when he died. And so the investment advisor would say, Let's invest this $50,000 where it's invested and reinvested and it grows and grows and grows and grows. So the next 14 years, that $50,000 could very easily have become $200,000, okay? And so when each of those children reaches 18 years of age or when they're ready to go to uh, vocational school, computer school, college, whatever it is, the money is there, engineering, architecture, music, whatever it might be, the money is in each of their trusts, 
because their father left that money for them. And their mother and their mother has managed that money for their benefit. And that money has now grown. And so when they come to her and they say, Mother, I want to go to music school. I want to become a animator, a computer animator, or I want to uh, find out about solar power or electric cars or God knows, you know, there's so many new professions and fields. Uh, maybe your uh, child is a tennis player or a um, softball player or, you know, uh, maybe they have, uh, are they interested in hockey or football or whatever? And even as they're in high school, you find out there are camps. There are camps because I know there were camps when my kids were growing up. My son played tennis, and we could we sent him to Florida. You know, there was a camp that he could go to where he learned particular skills. And if he wanted to continue with it, you know, you have to kind of go along with what their 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 interests are to some extent. If there was a trust for your child, there would be money for those kinds of extracurricular activities. You have provided for that, okay? You have provided money for that. And this is true if you have adult children who you want to have either individuals manage their money on their behalf or institutions manage money on their behalf. I've had quite a few clients whose adult children they don't think are really good enough with managing the amount of money that their parents are going to leave for them. And so they name somebody else, either in the family or out of the family, to be the trustee, or they name an institution to manage the money. And they say, my adult child, I had one whose adult child was a quilter, and she was excellent with it. She was artistic. She was excellent. And she traveled to all kinds of different events and learning how to do different things and, and so on like that. And so the trust said, pay for that. Pay for the travel of my child. Pay for any supplies, any kinds of courses that they wanted and so on. So you can customize the use of your legacy for your children to make sure that they have the benefit of whatever they need. And um, I'm encouraging everyone, give us a call, 240-638-2828. If you don't live in this area, call us on, uh, I'm sorry, call a lawyer where you live in, in the state that you're domiciled to do your documents. It's very important. I've been talking to you about what happens when you have a will and you have named persons to receive your assets in your will or in your trust. I just finished giving an example of what happens when, I always use Mr. Robert Jones as an example, of when he had his trust, he left, he, he died, his trust had provided that his wife was the successor trustee she takes over, the deed is put into her name. He also provided that life insurance would be paid into the trust and that she was to take that money, divide it between their two children, 
and create trust for them that those accounts would be opened in their individual names, the names of each child's trust, money deposited, and the money would be invested and reinvested until they reach whatever age the trust said, when they were ready to go to while they were growing, that money was available to give them, you know, uh, any kind of training, whether it's schooling, uh, sports, music, maybe your child plays the flute, plays the cello, plays softball, you know, if additional money would be needed for additional training, rather, that can be all provided for by the terms of your trust. The reason why we usually recommend that you divide the trust between the children and divide the money into separate trusts for each individual child is because each individual child's needs might be different. So let's say one child wants to be a medical doctor and the other child wants to be a musician. If you divide it in half, then the money for the one that's the musician will not be depleted by the larger demands of the child that wants to be a medical doctor. So you don't have to do it that way, but that's just the reasoning behind making it an individual trust for each child. Now, one of the things I didn't get a chance to talk about when I was saying what happens when you leave money in a will or in a trust is what happens when you leave money to a school, you can leave money and say $10,000, $100,000, one half of your estate or all of your estate would be left to an HBCU, to a college, a university, a trade school. It doesn't have to be just a college. It can be any institution that you want to, of education that you may want to benefit. Well, guess what? That gives them more money so they can educate more children or more persons. Because nowadays, a lot of adults are going back to school. They have more money to build better facilities. Some of our schools are old. The buildings are old. And they just don't have the money to fix up those buildings. Well, if your will or your trust says, I leave X amount of money to this school, Guess what? That helps the school tremendously to be able to take care of their facilities. They can offer better experiences to their students. Why do you think Harvard and Yale and Princeton and all these big-name schools are so big? It's because people have left money to them over the years. People leave money to their schools in their wills and in their trust. That is a very common thing among the people that went to those schools. So if you went to Howard, Fisk, uh, Morgan, uh, any of these different HBCUs, or any school for that matter, you may want to consider leaving some money for that school. If you didn't go to any of those schools, but you admire and you respect and you want to uh, encourage and benefit those students who go to those schools, you can leave money to those schools as well. You don't have to be a college graduate in order to leave money to a college. I have quite a few clients who have done that because they want to 
make sure that a particular school or schools are strong financially. So whenever you leave money to a school, it helps. It helps a lot. Um, and I, I encourage everyone to consider doing it, but I particularly encourage persons who don't have children, who don't have, um, you know, or, or they have children, but their children don't really need their money, uh, consider including uh, institutions of higher learning as beneficiaries in your wills or in your trust. Same thing with hospitals. Consider leaving money for hospitals. Like I said earlier, St. Jude is famous for this. That's how they've been able to do the work that they do. Consider leaving money for Howard University Hospital, Meharry Medical School Hospital, any hospital. Consider leaving money for research institutions. Uh, we need to cure sickle cell. We need to cure cancer. We need to cure COVID. We need to cure so many different uh, diseases and so on, and leaving money for research uh, to institutions that do this kind of work will help facilitate that. Maybe a hospital, uh, you've probably heard me hear, uh, say about a client who left money for the National Rehabilitation Center here in Washington, D.C. He was a uh, minister, a black minister, who had had a stroke, and they had taken such good care of him that he left a very nice gift to them. It was a percentage of his estate, because we weren't sure how much he would have left when he died, but it was very nice. And we arranged a presentation to the uh, hospital. They really appreciated it. We had his picture up. They remembered him. The doctors came who had took care of him and remembered him and honored him. And they told us what they were going to use that money for. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful occasion. And I want to encourage others of you to consider that. Because when you leave money to a hospital or a research facility, they have better facilities, they can have more doctors, and they can have better health care that they provide. And certainly, don't forget to leave money to your churches, okay? I've got to go back. I've got to go to break. But when I come back, let's talk about you can leave money to your church. Many of you tithe. You can do the same thing in your will or in your trust. I just want to caution you, however, to make it clear that unless it is your actual intention to make it clear in your documents that you're talking about leaving 10% of, if that's what you want, of your cash money so there's no confusion where your family is looking at having to sell the house because you just said 10% of my estate goes to my church and somebody thinks that that includes the value of your house. And where houses are so valuable, unless that's your actual intention, you got to be careful. That's why you have a lawyer do this and be very careful with the wording of what's in your will. You're listening to Law Talk with Ethel Mitchell. Give me a call if there are no dumb questions at all. I encourage you to call. If you have a question, you can be sure somebody else has a question. So call me now, one 800 450 
While I'm here on the air, I'll be glad to do my best to educate and inform you about how you might be, you know, to, to answer your question, I should say, as best I can. So call now, or if you need help with having these documents done, if you want us to prepare the documents or review what you have, call my office, 240-638-2828. It's important for you to know these things and then to make use of them. I've been talking to you about leaving, uh, we call them bequests, when you leave a gift of usually of money. It could be anything, but you leave a bequest of money to someone, a person, or a institution. Um, I generally recommend if you, uh, just before the break, we were talking about leaving a, a bequest, I hadn't called it that, but a bequest to your church or to a nonprofit. There are many great nonprofits out there that can use the money. Uh, there are schools. There, you can leave to a, a, a group of schools. You can say schools teaching X. Uh, you may have heard me talk about the James Brown Scholarship Fund that was established um, by his will or trust, according to the, the news reports that I read, uh, that for the benefit of poor children in Georgia and I think it's South Carolina, I think, okay? Um, and that's, that's, that's because he made those arrangements. I understand I have two callers on the line. Good morning. Uh, you're on the air. How can I help you? Yes, good morning, Attorney Mitchell. Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, too. Happy New Year to you, too. Hey, uh, Attorney Mitchell, I, I want to start off quoting Dr. Sean McMillan. You know, I had three reasons to be excited about my day. Number one reason, I didn't die last night. Number two okay. reason. I didn't die last night. And number three reasons I didn't <laughs> die last night, because life life is the gift. <laughs> it is a gift. It is a gift. You know, it's called the present for a reason. You know, I've been thinking about that. The present is a present. It really is. Yeah, it really is. Absolutely. Very good. Okay. Yes. So what I want to ask you about um, Attorney Mitchell, okay, there's a mother and father who has 13 kids. Well, they are they are adult kids, okay, now. And they, okay. had, an asset, they had an asset that was a house. Uh-huh. The, the mother and father are now deceased. The father was the last one who died, like, around 10 years ago. Okay. The, the house went through probate, and all the kids was listed on the probate. However, the deed was never changed from the parents. Oh, God. Still in the that happened so much. Yeah, so, yeah. Now, now, there are only two remaining adult children of the 13. Oh, my God. Okay. So, now, this is this is where it gets twisted. This is where, where the question comes in. Does the kids of the deceased children have a claim to the house now? Yes. 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 So okay, let me, let me explain. Yeah. Go on. Go ahead. Oh, okay, that's it. Basically, they can force the sale of the house. Is that correct? Well, they got some legal maneuvering to do. 
there's got some there's got some legal stuff that needs to be done. Okay, before anybody can sell the house, and, and I'm assuming there was no will. No, there was a will. It was probated, but they, all the children's name was listed on the probate, but nobody changed the deed over after it was probated. Okay. So again, it depends on what state it's in. How, the process that has to. Okay, so DC will require. Well, I shouldn't say it like that. One of the ways in which this might be handled and resolved is that a petition to reopen the probate would have to be prepared, signed by whoever the surviving people are, okay? The petition would have to say who it was. If, if it, it gets a little complicated, but right now I'm just going to, because I don't know the details, but somebody's got to reopen the original estate and do a personal representative's deed from the estate to whoever was named. And you're telling me it was the 13 children, okay? So there's going to be a deed from that estate putting it into the name of the 13 children. Then there's got to be an opening of the estates of those 13 children who have died before, you know, or of the 13 children who have now died. Let's say, I think you said there were only two left, so 11 have died. Somebody's got to probate the estates of those who have died, okay, some kind of way. I mean, I'm, I'm just giving you the, just generally what needs to be, happen. Because, and let me explain the theory so people understand. Whoever owns a property, they are the only ones that have the power to sell that property. When you die, if, there, if there's a will or not, if there's a w- will or not, the the, uh, the probate is opened, and the personal representative in that estate should end or complete the estate by doing a deed from the estate to whoever that belongs to, whoever you know it should go to. Then the title now belongs to those 13 people, which is crazy, but that's what happened. If those 13 people of those 13 people, you know, 10 die, it's now divided into 13 parts. And somebody's got to deal with the estates of all those persons who died. And the beneficiaries or the inheritors of those 10 people who have died have opened an estate in order to deal with that. Now, if you can get them all together some kind of way, you might be able to find a way to do it in one proceeding. I don't know because I'm struggling with an estate like that. Similarly, you know, grandparents now, and I can't get the, we know who everybody is, but getting everybody to sign off on it is just even to open the estate is, is, is difficult. It's a real hassle and you're going to have to have, you know, bonds set and all kinds of stuff like that. So I beg everyone, please have your wills done. Even if you have to do an estate, a will helps a lot. It really does. It makes it clear. But that's going to be the procedure. That's all I can tell you. But it's not going to be just one person coming up and forcing a sale. They got to jump through some serious legal hoops before they can even do that. Okay? Correct. Thank you so much. That's a good question. You're welcome. You're welcome. 
Uh, is there? I think there's another person on the line. Is there another caller? Hello. Yes. Hello. You're listening to. Good morning. This is Attorney Mitchell. Good morning. How can I help you? Um, in a transfer of deed upon death, is that a good instrument to transfer your deed? In I think it is, and I have used it. Yes, I have used it in quite a few situations, and. You have to, yes, the, the, the way it works is you actually say, when I die, this is who's to get my property, okay? That has okay. to be recorded. It's a revocable deed, so you can always change it, all right? But if you don't change it, then what's done when the person dies, a confirmatory deed is done, which says, I confirm that, you know, Miss so-and-so died, and... Now the deed or the property belongs to, and it names the people that she named in her, in the original deed, okay? And that's recorded with a death certificate and a copy of the original recorded transfer on death deed. I, I have used that where people are selling property. I've used that where people just want to own the property, okay? Uh, mm-hmm. Other lawyers have told me that title companies have when you're trying to sell the property will sometimes not because I've had title companies accept it as well uh, and not insist that you open a probate but that is a potential issue which is not that difficult to do either but yes that is a legitimate in DC and in um, Virginia as well okay. and a yeah. will is still a good instrument to have along with that Absolutely, absolutely, because things happen, and there could be some other asset sitting out there that is not governed by the transfer on death deed. The transfer on death deed only governs the property that's involved, period. doesn't have anything to do with bank accounts, anything else, period, okay? So you need the will to take care of that. But in in my office, we often do both. In fact, that's one of the ways in which we've been able to to do estate plans without having to do a trust, because the transfer on death deed and a will is often sufficient to transfer a property where, you know, the beneficiaries are all adults, you don't have any uh, control issues, you, you know, you want it, because it goes out right, it goes immediately when you die, all right? But you're still responsible for the mortgage. Please understand that. You don't get out of any paying any debts on the property by that. But it is definitely a legitimate legal document that has been approved as a law here and is used. We use it all the time. We use it all the time, yes. 